you expect sting operations with certain criminal activities like gambling, prostitution, and illegal drugs. And then there's Chris Hansen's appropriately named to catch a predator. It uses modern-day technology employed by some of the vilest forms of criminals, pedophiles, and child molesters, to catch them red-handed. But what about psychics? Would it surprise you to know that police have performed stings over the years to catch psychic cons and swindlers? That's not to say all psychics are frauds. Or are they? I'll leave that up to you to decide as we examine cases of spiritualism, spirit crimes, and psychic stings in this episode of Haunting American True Crimes. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Courtney Maroc. As with other episodes in this season's Haunting American True Crime series from Haunt Jaunts, I'll once again be your host and guide. If you're enjoying this series and haven't subscribed yet, I encourage you to go ahead and do it. We still have a few more cases coming up in the weeks ahead. In my very biased opinion, they just keep getting better and better. I'd hate for you to miss out. I'll give you a taste of what's to come in next week's episode at the end of this one. But let's not look into the future, even though it fits the theme of this episode perfectly. Speaking of, let's jump on in. Even to this day, there's a lot of disagreement as to whether psychics exist or not. Of course, people who believe themselves to be psychics exist. I'm talking about their alleged power. The clairvoyance, clairsentience, and clairaudience who say they can see, feel, and or hear people who have died that the rest of us can't, or perhaps choose not to. Because some psychics claim we're all gifted with the ability to communicate with the dead. We just don't all take the time to develop it, which is perfectly fine by some who are more than happy to communicate with our dearly departed loved ones for us. For a fee, of course. Before we get into some of the crimes unscrupulous psychics have perpetrated and the sting operations that have busted them, let's first examine the roots of spiritualism which was sometimes considered a crime of its own, until it declared itself a religion. Some wanted desperately, needed desperately, to believe spiritualism stemmed from a legitimate source, but as we'll see, it didn't. Many historians credit the Fox sisters, Leah, Maggie, and Katie, 
with the birth of the spiritualism movement in America. It all started with Maggie and Katie in 1848. They had been playing tricks on their mom in their Hydesville, New York farmhouse. They'd tie strings to apples, then pound them on the stairs and claim the noise was ghostly footsteps. Then they took it farther and said that they could communicate with the dead who would respond with knocks and raps. But there was nothing supernatural about it. It was another prank they were pulling on their mom. The girls had discovered they could make the noises by cracking their toes a certain way. They'd ask a question and the ghost would respond with a series of taps, a.k.a. knuckle cracks, to produce an answer. Their mom was so astonished, she told the neighbors. And once she got them involved to marvel at their mysterious haunted home, they of course talked to other friends. Um, By that time it was too late for Maggie and Katie to fess up without drawing shame upon their family, so they stayed silent. Uh, Plus, the family was already having to endure the scorn and suspicion of some townspeople who felt that they were either evil, witches, or both. Their older sister, Leah, was a divorced mom living in nearby Rochester who at first believed her sister's talents were the fulfillment of a prophecy outlined in a best-selling book at that time by Andrew Jackson Davis, The Divine Principles of Nature. Davis claimed spirits were all around the living and that it would soon be made evident in a demonstration. Leah felt her sisters were that demonstration. However, Leah was also a pragmatic sort and soon realized what her little sisters were really up to. Instead of turning them in, however, she used them to cash in. Leah had witnessed a religious evolution of sorts in Rochester and surrounding areas. It was a time of America's Second Great Awakening. Shakers, Mormons, and Millerites prophesied a second coming in which they thought might be 1843 or 1844. They encouraged followers to relinquish their worldly goods to them to prepare for this ultimate event. Which, of course, didn't happen and produced what History Net called spiritual cynicism. Feeling duped and disenfranchised, people started shunning religion. Leah Fox, however, saw a way to capitalize on this. She recognized that people still wanted, needed something to believe in. Because death was something most Americans were intimately acquainted with due to poor working and living conditions, as well as high infant mortality rates and women dying during childbirth. If the dead were still with us, If her sisters could still communicate with those who people had loved and lost, that would be remarkable, comforting, healing, not to mention profitable. Something she discerned after she'd invited her friends, the posts, over to conduct a seance. The Quaker couple was not strangers to grief. They had lost a few children to illness. 
At first, the Post laughed, wondering if Leah Fox and her family were delusional. Yet they agreed to the seance as a bit of fun. But when Maggie and Katie answered intimate questions about the Post's dead children with their mysterious raps and knocks, the Post's were convinced, and so was Leah, that people needed spiritualism in their lives and would pay good money to have a chance for a reunion with loved ones in the beyond, even if it was a farce, which they didn't know, but Leah did. It wasn't long before the Rochester rappers, as they became known, went on tour, conducting seances along the East Coast. Along with a few other savvy converts at the time, Spiritualism was officially born in the early 1850s and was hailed as one of the wonders of the age. Until 30 years later when, in 1888, Maggie Fox admitted spiritualism was a fraud and that she and her sisters had faked the seances, a claim that was celebrated by those who had been skeptical all along and vehemently repudiated by the true believers. She recanted her admission a year later in 1889, but it didn't matter either way. Spiritualism was just one more form of religion that some embraced and others rejected. It was here to stay. And with it came opportunities for the unscrupulous to prey on the weak, gullible, and distraught. Across the nation, seances spiked following disasters like the Civil War, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, the San Francisco Earthquake of 1906, the sinking of the Titanic in 1912, and reached a fever pitch during World War I and the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Crusades were launched against fortune tellers, palmists, mediums, and as a March 19, 1913 article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette called them, other so-called psychic specialists. Psychic stings were pretty routine in the 19-teens through the 1920s. Police would send an undercover operative, usually a woman pretending to have lost a child or a husband, to attend a seance. For a fee of anywhere from $1 to $3 or more per spirit contacted, the medium was happy to deliver messages from loved ones in the beyond. Needless to say, some people were fleeced out of small fortunes, in some cases their entire life savings. Let's look at the case of Mrs. Robinson, who was busted in the act in 1921 by Mrs. Pearl Phillips of the Women's Protective Division in Tacoma, Washington. Mrs. Robinson had gathered a circle of 13 believers around a darkened seance table. Mysterious voices spoke, seeming to offer messages from those on the other side for those in attendance. A guitar hovered over the heads of the attendees, seemingly playing by itself. And when the attendees began singing, Take the trumpet, take the trumpet, take the trumpet just now, the spirits listened 
and played the trumpet. Or did it? Nope. Mrs. Phillips signaled for two officers to shine a light on the situation, both literally and figuratively. Flashlights shined on Mrs. Robinson, who was caught prancing around the table with the guitar over her head and blue staining her lips. From the blue paint Mrs. Phillips had placed on the trumpet's mouthpiece when Mrs. Robinson was distracted earlier in the evening. After exposing Mrs. Robinson's sham to the other seance-goers, Mrs. Phillips placed the phony medium under arrest. But it wasn't just authorities who set out to trap shady spiritualists in their cons. In the mid-1920s, the great magician Harry Houdini embarked on a war against psychics. Fake ones, at any rate. But it didn't start out as a war. Houdini wanted to believe in spiritualists and spiritualism. It would win him a friend in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the famous Sherlock Holmes mystery writer turned fervent spiritualist. However, whereas Doyle was a diehard believer and never met a fake, Houdini was the complete opposite. Thanks to the knowledge his magic profession gave him, Houdini instead spotted fakers at every turn, and he delighted in exposing them. The case of a Boston woman named Mina Crandon, who went by the alias Marjorie the Medium, proved the death blow for Houdini and Doyle's friendship. Doyle was smitten with Marjorie and believed her to be the best, most authentic medium the world had ever seen. Even Scientific American was ready to verify her as the real deal, but not Houdini. He never completely proved she was a fraud, but he made several compelling arguments for why she was. If you're not familiar with the case, a great book about it is The Witch of Lime Street, Seance, Seduction, and Houdini in the Spirit World by David Jaher. Maybe Houdini would have had better luck exposing Mina Crandon, a.k.a. Marjorie the Medium, if he'd sent in one of the undercover agents he often used to root out the phonies. Like Rose Mackenberg, who investigated and exposed over 300 fakes and frauds in her decades-long career, one that lasted long after Houdini's death in 1926. Speaking of 1926, though, that was the year a bill went before Congress proposing to outlaw fortune-telling. Houdini was a star witness, but Mackenberg also testified. She had gone undercover to investigate a notable Washington medium named Jane Coates, who had confided to Mackenberg that the proposed bill would never pass because at least four senators were her clients, and President Coolidge and his family conducted seances in the White House. Which, when that came out during the hearing, the Coolidge presidency quickly denied. Coates then claimed her words had been misconstrued. Seances hadn't been conducted in the White House, 
merely in the shadow of it. However, Coates didn't really refute the gist of what she told Mackenberg, which was that basically lawmakers weren't going to back anything that outlawed something they believed and participated in. And she was right. The bill didn't pass. But while we might consider folks in the early decades of the 1900s more naive than people today, psychic stings have happened in more modern history, too. Like the 1953 case of Mrs. Lily Costello, who worked under the aliases Mary the Fortune Teller and Rose the Fortune Teller. She dressed in costume as a gypsy and used a crystal ball in the whole nine yards. She worked at the Amityville Flea Market in New York for several years and purported to cure people of curses. In November 1953, Mr. and Mrs. Caccavelli paid her booth a visit. She foresaw that Mr. Caccavelli and his son would die in a horrible auto accident. She charged the couple $5 for that information, but also gave them instructions on how they could prevent it which included gathering towels and sheets to sacrifice, along with money to burn. She also sold them special candles and incense to burn at home, and instructed them to break eggs under their arms to cleanse themselves of evil. They went back to her a couple of more times, each visit costing them a bit more. After their third trip to her, the psychic told them that burying $500 and a crushed egg in a coffin in a cemetery in Trenton, New Jersey, was the only way to make sure they'd be spared. Friends wisely advised the couple they were being swindled and should report it to the police. Police knew a con when they heard one. The gypsy had used sleight of hand to replace their real money with stage money and that's what was set afire. She'd obviously pocketed the, the real money, in addition to whatever fee they'd agreed to pay her for her guidance in removing their curses. Costello had also swindled others by telling them to bury money, in some cases thousands of dollars. The Cacavellis agreed to help the police bust her and, with marked money, paid the gypsy one more visit. When, as predicted, the police found the marked money which was supposed to have been burned but was instead in the gypsy's possession, they arrested her for grand larceny. She was also charged with the misdemeanor offense of fortune-telling. I'm not sure if it's still illegal there or not, but it was at that time as it was in many other places in America, too. On Halloween in 1983, Michael Sangarlo, an ex-police officer, found himself the victim of a gypsy curse scam also. He was in a bad place mentally. His mother had just died of cancer. He'd gotten divorced and married another woman, which, as devout Catholics, his father and sisters disapproved of and disowned him and his new wife had tried to commit suicide. Sangarlo sought the advice of Paula Uwanowicz, who operated as the psychic Mrs. Grace. 
He just wanted to be reassured that better days were coming. Mrs. Grace explained all of his woes were tied to a curse on his money, but if he gave her $900, she could remove the curse. Well, that snapped him out of his funk. As an ex-policeman, he recognized a scam, which was a common one in Pennsylvania, even though fortune-telling was illegal there at that time. He reported her, then worked with a prosecutor who gave him $300 to pay Mrs. Grace and had him wear a wire to get her on tape. Mission accomplished. Mrs. Grace was arrested, but was placed on probation. She moved shop from Camden to Glendora, where she took up reading tarot cards instead. But even in the late 2010s, such cons persisted. Bob Nygaard is a modern-day private investigator who specializes in investigating psychic fraud. Nygaard is continuing the work that Houdini started and magician James Randi continued. He was even featured in an episode of ABC's TV series, The Con. It was episode 6, appropriately named The Psychic Con. Nygaard also advocates for victims of psychic fraud because many times, even if they report it to authorities, police dismiss them saying it's a civil matter, not a criminal one. But it's not. Victims end up being fleeced for thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's nothing short of grand larceny. And yes, Sometimes he employs a psychic sting of sorts to catch the con artists. Like in the 2013 case of California psychic April Lee, who operated under the alias Michelle Morgan. Victim Brian James had sought Nygaard's help once he realized he was being duped by Lee Morgan. He'd been experiencing relationship problems and had sought spiritual guidance from Morgan. At one point, the psychic told James she could remove a curse on him if he paid her $511,000. The LAPD wouldn't help Nygaard bust the unscrupulous psychic, but the Santa Clara County District Attorney agreed to. Together with James's help, Nygaard and the DA nabbed Lee slash Morgan in her con red-handed. James informed Morgan that he had the money she requested. However, she would need to go to San Jose to get it. The story was that James's mom was going to sell a piece of property to pay Morgan. When Morgan went to the escrow office expecting the money to be transferred to her, the DA and his team moved in and arrested her. You may be wondering how people could fall for such nonsense in this day and age. It's why a lot of these crimes go unreported and unprosecuted and why people can get away with them. There's really not a lot of sympathy for people who let themselves be so egregiously taken advantage of, if they even dare admit that it happened. But a lot of these people have reached points in their lives where they are so depressed, 
feel so dejected and abandoned and desperate that they grasp at illogical straws hoping for help, happiness, peace. The type of people who prey on that kind of vulnerability are, well, the most despicable sort of people at best and pure evil at worst. Granted, some psychics are now calling themselves light and or energy workers and are genuinely seeking to help people find answers, peace, and comfort. But there are still plenty out there purporting to possess special powers and quickly diagnose a curse at the root of all ills, a curse they will gladly assist you in removing for the right price. The days of seances and contacting deceased loved ones for profit seems to have passed, though. But are people truly able to commune with the dead? Bob Nygaard's never seen irrefutable proof of that. Neither had James Randi before him, nor Harry Houdini before any of them. But I did find it interesting that while researching for this episode, I found two psychics who had predicted President Warren G. Harding's death before it happened. One was spiritualist Louis Rader, who Secret Service agents arrested in June 1923 after he prophesied Harding's death. The other was medium Jane Coates, the one who, in 1926, had declared to Houdini's undercover ghost-busting agent Rose Mackenberg that the bill outlawing fortune-telling would never pass. There are many who pass themselves off as real psychics, and many who believe them. But just as there's never been any tangible, verifiable evidence that ghosts exist, nor has anyone ever proved that there are real psychics. We all have our opinions on the matter, though. Personally, I think that sometimes, yes, we can catch a whiff of the past or a glimpse into the future. Throughout my life, as I'm sure you have too, I've experienced moments of clairaudient and clairsentient activity, as well as prescient dreams. If you want to share any of your experiences with me, feel free to send an email to podcast at hauntjaunts.net. I'd love to hear about them. But consistently on a regular basis, have I experienced psychic activity? No. For-profit psychics will tell you they see the future and commune with the dead on a daily basis, though. A talent developed after working on it for years. And they very well might be able to. The trouble is when they charge for their services, because even with all of our technology and advances in science, there's still no way to verify beyond a shadow of a doubt that what they're saying is true. Perhaps Rose Mackenberg put it best. It wasn't that she was a non-believer in spiritualism or unwilling to be convinced in the existence of the afterlife. She just had yet to see any proof of it. For many of us, that's our story too. The search will continue until the day we die. 
Until then, we need to remain vigilant against the hoaxers, shysters, and frauds who have no qualms about preying on our fantasies and vulnerabilities and separating us from our money. Thank you so much for joining me as we examine spiritualism and gypsy curses. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next installment of the Haunting American True Crime series. But be warned, the next episode will have a little bite to it. We'll be investigating cases of vampirism. Until we find ourselves sailing the airwaves together again, ciao for now. You've been listening to Haunt Johns, a podcast for restless spirits. My name is Courtney Morocco and it's been my pleasure to be your host and guide for this audio journey. Did you like what you heard? If so, the best ways to show your appreciation are by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from, leaving a review if your podcast provider permits it, or by sharing this episode. If you're curious about the music, almost all of it comes from filmmusic.io, unless otherwise specified in the show notes, which is also where all artists and song titles are listed. And if you'd like to continue exploring with me beyond the podcast, you can always jaunt with me online anytime at hauntjaunts.net or socially on Instagram and YouTube. I sure do appreciate you taking the time to sail the airwaves with me. Until our paths cross again, ciao for now.